I'd like to tell you about the benefits of meditation in a very concrete form. As our factors that arise in meditation counteract what are called our hindrances. Now, every human being has what the Buddha calls five hindrances. In Pali, the pancha nivaranas. Pancha means five. And although they are a bother to everyone and unpleasant at times, it's useless to blame ourselves for them because they are part and parcel of being a human being. However, we all have the capacity to minimize them and eventually uproot them and overcome them. And we often, most of us, would often do that in daily living when they become particularly cumbersome. But it's uphill labor. It's very difficult. If we don't use the meditation as an automatic purification system, we'll find the minimizing and eventual eradication of these hindrances so difficult that I would say it's impossible. We have five hindrances and five factors of meditation. So each one counteracts one of the others. And you will see in a moment that even though the meditation may not be concentrated yet, you have immediate benefits, even just sitting down. The first thing that happens when we just sit down to meditate, first thing is we have a good intention, so there's good karma. But we also are trying to concentrate. I mean, it would be useless to sit down and not try to concentrate. We could sit more comfortably somewhere else. So if we actually do sit down for meditation, we have the intention for concentration. Now that counteracts very effectively our third hindrance, which we could call in our modern way of saying it, procrastination. Everybody is familiar with it. I don't think anybody is immune from it. The Buddha calls this floss and torpor, or laziness and drowsiness. So this is our third hindrance, and the very first factor of meditation, namely the initial application of the mind to the meditation subject. So if we use the breath, by putting the mind on the breath, even for just a moment, we're counteracting the, well, the procrastinating tendency of the mind, I'll do it tomorrow. Or it can't be that important, or it's too early, or it's too late, or it's too hot, it's too cold when the children are out of the house or when I have less work to do 
or after I've got finished with my chores, and all the rest of the ideas we have, why not to meditate? The list is innum has innumerable items on it. Everybody picks the one item that they think is justified. However, when we finally do sit down and meditate, we are counteracting that particular difficulty. And we may have at that time already understood that nothing is more important, that all the chores that we need to do are repeating themselves. They all come back. We have to do them again. And the physical discomfort which arises will always arise again. So the importance of meditation may have dawned on us by that time. But more than that, the mind which has a tendency to have this kind of nebulous and drowsy non-attention where just pays attention to what's necessary for survival and nothing else is counteracted. Paying attention means also remembering. It's mindfulness. Mindfulness is the heart of Buddhist meditation. It's being re really there in this moment and no other moment. And you've got to be. For meditation, you cannot be attentive to the breath which is gone, nor can one be attentive to the breath is yet to come. One's got to be right there on this one only. And this is the one and only moment which we can live in. There is no other moment. All the rest is either memory or a hope and a prayer that the future is going to work out. Planning, hoping, wishing, and the rest is memory. None of it is life. Life is this one moment, and it's already gone, finished. This breath, this one, that's life. Because if we didn't have it, we wouldn't be alive. Now, that is the one thing that the mind which does not procrastinate, does not hope for the future, does not remember the past, but is actually here now, has as its asset because when we pay attention to this one moment, the mind has to be clear. Otherwise, it can't pay attention. So we have an immediate benefit by putting our mind on that one breath being concentrated maybe only for one breath or two or three, we're learning to be here now, and we're counteracting the torpor in the mind which is only concerned with that which it has to think about, which it has to understand. It's not concerned, a mind which is nebulous is not concerned with absolute truth, it's only concerned with what it has to know. Well, everybody has, of course, obligations that they have to know about. The Buddha compared sloth and torpor, sloth comes then in the body and torpor is in the mind, to being in prison. The mind is imprisoned. 
And as we know, we can't do anything when we're in prison. We're in a little cell. We have to wait till somebody opens it, unlocks it, and we can step out and go about our business again. Well, here, we have to unlock this cell ourselves. Not only does loss and torpor not work in meditation, the mind becomes drowsy and falls is sleepy and is dreamy and fantasizes, that happens in meditation, but it also doesn't work in daily life. We forget, we don't know clearly what to do, we don't have proper direction, we have difficulties sorting out what's more important than something else. All these things are due to the fact that the mind is not focused in one moment. Now, obviously, the meditation is an automatic purification system. It's like an automatic washing machine. Once you sit and you try to concentrate, that particular difficulty of the mind is eliminated for the time being. It's not enough, of course, to do it only in meditation. Mindfulness in daily living is the most important mental factor which supports meditation and which supports spiritual life. If meditation is not embedded in spiritual living, it doesn't work. It doesn't have a chance. It's got to be part and parcel of a spiritual life that can be led by anyone, anywhere, under all circumstances, because it's our inner life. It has nothing to do with our outer life. It's within. And mindfulness, paying attention to this moment, knowing exactly what we do, think, feel, that is pass and parcel, and the instigator of the spiritual life because if we don't know how we are, how can we change? So we have to support the initial application, that's what it's called, the initial application to the meditation subject with mindfulness in daily living. We can never uh, think that we can sit down on the pillow and be successful in meditation if all day long we haven't got the slightest interest in our own spirituality, in our own inner growth. If, let's say, 15 hours of the day we're totally disinterested in that and are only paying attention to the necessary things that are to be done in life, and then for one hour or half an hour we want to meditate, it can't work. We have to remember that our mindfulness, bare attention, is our greatest helper. All of us are capable of it. It's a mental factor that everybody has. We'd all be dead if we didn't have it. We'd be run over by the first car that came along. We all have it, but we only use it for survival. And since survival is a lost cause anyway, 
Mm. Nobody's ever managed it, and nobody ever will. <laughs> we might as well use this faculty that we have for spiritual growth. So we have to use it in daily living. And another thing which the Buddha recommended as antidote for this mental difficulty of sloth and torpor is noble friends and noble conversations. Now, noble friends and noble conversations are the antidote for all five of those hindrances. All of them have separate antidotes, but this one, noble friends and noble conversations, is common to all five. Noble friends are those that are also on a spiritual path and can support us in our quest. They, are, they will not think that we have all of a sudden um, gone funny because we're meditating, but they're supporting this kind of um, endeavor. Hopefully, they are two steps ahead so that they can show us a way and they will try to have conversations which are elevating. Too many conversations that people have are on subjects which are distressing or they are of a nature which may give the wrong impression to the mind that they are useful for some reason but in the reality they're negative. Noble conversations are such conversations where the mind is getting a kind of food which it can then digest and grow from it, become stronger, feels elevated, joyous and happy. So noble friends and noble conversations are of the greatest importance and so it usually happens that people who meditate gravitate towards each other and come together, just as you do when you come together here on Sundays, which is a very important factor for all and everyone who wants to grow spiritually, to have the kind of support system of other friends and the possibility to talk about things which are helpful on this path. The, the um, Buddha had a cousin who was his attendant for 25 years, loved him dearly. His name was Ananda. And Ananda once said to the Buddha, Sir, a good friend is half of the holy life. And the Buddha said, Do not say so, Ananda. A good friend is the whole of the holy life. So to have the right kind of people around one is of the greatest importance. Now these are the antidotes in daily life, the mindfulness which means that we are actually in each moment and in meditation the initial application. The next factor is a continued application to the meditation subject. It's usually compared to hitting the gong and then having the sound continue. The hitting is the initial application. The continuation is the, is the continued application. In Pali, Vitaka, Vichara. Vitaka is the initial Vichara, the continued application. Now, this continued application counteracts effectively 
our fifth hindrance, skeptical doubt. Skeptical doubt is a kind of difficulty that everybody has to a greater or lesser degree. Some people are more apt to have it than others. And it only completely vanishes when we have had our first taste of liberation. Then it completely vanishes because then we know what we're after. At this point in time, maybe we're after having a bit of peace in the mind or maybe getting more spiritually um, interested or we are, have, we are after sitting quietly and knowing a little more about ourselves but as a matter of fact meditation has only one goal and that's complete liberation complete freedom and the skeptical doubt only vanishes when we've had our first taste of that however this continued application to the meditation subject brings with it self-confidence now the Buddha compared skeptical doubt to wandering in the desert without a road map and without any provisions and going around in circles obviously in a desert without a road map and in the end being overrun by bandits because there's no direction skeptical doubt is a kind of thing where one tries to meditate and then after a week or so decides it's too difficult I better try Tai Chi and uh, then when one can't remember the steps in Tai Chi, then maybe one tries crystals or whatever. That's, that's real skeptical doubt. That's the kind of skeptical doubt which is really like going in the desert, going around and around and around. But there's also a kind of misunderstanding between intelligent inquiry and skeptical doubt. Intelligent inquiry is what the Buddha supported completely. He said, do not believe because it's a tradition. Do not believe anything because your relatives and friends believe it. Do not believe it because it has been handed down from teacher to disciple. Do not believe it because it agrees with what you want anyway. Do not believe it because it's logical. Do not believe it because it's mystical. Do not believe it because the teacher is a very reputable person or because the teacher can explain it so well. Find out for yourself. That is intelligent inquiry, which means you've got to try it all out. And only when one's tried it out does one know whether it works or not. So skeptical doubt is the kind of feeling inside that I've got to be shown not I'm going to try it out nobody's going to show anybody anything one's got to do it oneself the Buddha called himself nothing but a signpost pointing in a certain direction so what do you do with signposts? Either you try out the direction or you don't, but you've got to do all the traveling yourself. 
when one has able has been able to stay on the meditation subject on the breath in this case for some time one has self-confidence first of all one gets self-confidence in oneself one can do it secondly one gets confidence that it's actually possible all the time one has thought maybe it wasn't possible everybody's talking about staying on the breath but how can one do a thing like that the mind just doesn't want to do it it thinks all the time but now one sees it is possible and also there are some results from that so the self-confidence arises which is very important also which is counteract skeptical doubt but also the confidence in the teaching it is actually possible to do that now skeptical doubt has as its remedy obviously confidence confidence is something that we very often have to have in the unknown I like to compare that with getting married one has confidence this is going to work out I mean that it doesn't that's our later development but at the time of saying yes I do one thinks yes this is great this is going to work so one has confidence in the unknown it may even work out it does at times so the confidence is not in something that one already knows that is already experience what one knows is personal experience that's the understood experience in the buddhist teaching but confidence is in that which one has understood as being the right direction and which one can love if we don't use heart and mind together we are hopping on one foot and our progress is going to be mighty slow we have both we have heart and mind we have our rational logical thinking and we have our capacity for love and devotion if we don't use them both we will be shortchanging ourselves we need in order to have a spiritual path which we can follow without any great difficulties we have to understand it we have to know what it's all about if we don't understand it we'll never do it right it's impossible we're all intelligent human beings there's no reason why we shouldn't understand it none whatsoever the buddhist teaching are so clear and so precise and in such detail that there's no excuse if one doesn't have the possibility to get into that and understand it perfectly but that's not enough in order to practice understanding is often the case lots of books result from that from the understanding we even have chairs at universities it's all well understood nothing happens when the heart doesn't speak the practice doesn't happen now the heart can only do one thing it can love that which the mind has understood and once that love has entered 
there is devotion and there is a way of giving oneself to it. Now this is a feature and a faculty that is essential for meditation. If we can't give ourselves to it, we won't meditate. Meditation has that as its most important single mental or heart factor. Giving ourselves to that what is happening right then, namely the meditation subject at that time. If we have the ability to love, this is one of our most important directions where we can extend our love to. That's our own spiritual path. Nothing can be nearer to us than that. If we have a relationship with one person, and we understand that person very well, but we don't love that person. The relationship isn't going to have much of a future. Now, if we love the person, but don't understand that person at all, that relationship also doesn't have much of a future. So if we have love and understanding, then we have a very good relationship. That kind of relationship has to be extended towards our own spiritual life. It's much closer to us than the relationship with another person. So the understanding is usually, for most Westerners, easier. Because we've been trained from childhood on to use our mind and to intellectualize everything. We have books about everything. And we're supposed to understand everything. And it's a good thing to understand, but it has to have the other ingredient in it. That other ingredient is also imbued with humility. The humility to recognize that maybe I don't know it all myself yet. <coughs> maybe there's something more that I haven't actually experienced yet. And with that humility, maybe my heart can open towards that which is greater than me. And if my heart opens to that, I will be able to give myself to it. It's a necessity in meditation. Once the mind becomes concentrated, even the slightest bit, then, if one doesn't give oneself to that concentration, one's never going to go into what are called the meditative absorptions, which is where meditation starts. Everything before that is method. So that is the important factor of counteracting our skeptical doubt. A skeptical doubt which has a great deal 
of pride in it the pride of being able to figure it all out oneself well if we were all able to figure it out ourselves we'd be Buddha or Jesus but we're not are we so with all that what we carry around within us we do need the instructions and when we get the instructions if we don't give our heart to them our mind alone will never do it if our mind alone had been able to do it we would have done it a long time ago we can all think very well no problem mind and heart have to work in conjunction with each other again with the skeptical doubt in daily life noble friends and noble conversations and as an addition to that companionship with wise people whatever one can find as far as wise people are concerned one can find companionship with them it's another help and helping factor on the spiritual path these are the first two factors of meditation which happen almost automatically because everybody can stay on the breath a little bit so we have almost we have not almost we have immediate benefits we're counteracting two of our five hindrances now I will tell you now about the third factor of meditation which you may or may not have experienced and what it does if you do experience it in Pali it's called piti there are five factors and they're called vitaka vichara piti sukha ekavata now that's not the English piti it's p-i-t-i it's the Pali piti and it's often translated as bliss or rapture but these are words which denote something far more than what is actually happening one has a sort of an idea that this is going to be like this is going to be a, like a big bang or something like that it's nothing like it at all what happens from a practical standpoint is this when the concentration has been long enough on the breath and long enough means anything from 10 minutes to half an hour whatever it becomes much finer the breath and in the end one can't find it it's difficult to find and what happens very often is that people take a deep breath because they become afraid that oh I'm not breathing or quite um, subconsciously without even knowing the intention they want to meditate so they must find the breath so quickly take a deep breath instead of totally giving themselves to what is actually happening having that kind of confidence in themselves and also in the teaching so that they can completely give themselves to it now if one can what happens is that the breath being so fine that one can't find it it is no longer useful as a meditation subject and what arises is an extremely pleasant sensation which is physical and it has 17 different kinds or that's in the book anyway I think there are about 30 different kinds 
and all of them are extremely pleasant so one never has to wonder did I now experience this or didn't I one knows immediately some of them are the body feels very light doesn't have this heavy feeling that it has now it feels almost it feels so light that it feels almost as if it was lifting off the cushion it um, feels transparent it uh, tingle, tingling it has very pleasant warmth as if it is embedded in cotton wool it has um, sometimes a feeling of wave motion as if some, somebody is uh, like a wave motion that comes from you know, <coughs> doesn't come from anywhere it's all inside of oneself so any number of different physical sensations are possible all of them utterly pleasant and therefore one could say that delight would be a better translation than bliss or rapture because bliss and rapture denote something extremely big that's happening delight is better the other translation is interest because at the time that this happens one is finally getting interested in the meditation and it's no longer a chore to sit down and make oneself sit down and actually do it when it gets interested the mind says ah there is something to this and as this happens the mind of course will have to be able to stay on it for some time but it counteracts effectively our second hindrance which is the one that most people find most unpleasant ill will anger it's called ill will but it includes anger hate dislike rejection all our negative emotions which we use towards ourselves and others and which make life so difficult and which we always try to justify but quite deep down I think most people know that there is no real justification for them we do have this ill will sitting inside of ourselves and any trigger that is strong enough will bring it out now during the time of the meditation when this delight arises obviously we can't be angry and we can't do two opposite things at the same time but it has more than that than it's just in the meditation it has a residual effect the residual effect is a very very strong one and therefore most important the mind has experienced something new different it has got in touch with inner purity and therefore knows if the instructions have been followed that it can get back there when it wants to now this is the first time that the mind will have found a home the body has a lovely home <coughs> roof over the head nice furniture good beds nice bathtub everything there kitchen everything for the body and what does the mind do it doesn't have any chair to relax in it doesn't it has to follow around with whatever is thinking was going on and at night whatever dreaming is going on it has nowhere to go it doesn't have any protection it doesn't have any protection from its 
negative thoughts and emotions. They come, sometimes one doesn't even know why they come, and then one tries to find the justification afterwards, after they've come. Now, it has finally found a place where it can go to and actually relax and be at ease and enjoy without outer conditions. Now, so far, up to then, one has been able to enjoy sense contact, outer conditions. What we see here, taste, touch, smell, and think. So we have good karma, so we can enjoy a lot of stuff. But not only is it very short-lived, it's also not totally satisfactory because it does not fulfill, it does not fill the emptiness in the heart. It's momentary and it has moments of enjoyment but it doesn't have a residual effect. We have to repeat it. So we were always up to then depend upon the outer condition that we could get that what would bring enjoyment. Now we have found an inner condition. And having found that inner condition, we know we can go there when we want to, once we have established that. And knowing that, we're not so much interested anymore in getting the proper outer conditions. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the flowers and the, the sunsets, we can't enjoy our food, it doesn't mean any of that but we don't have to run after it in order to get enjoyment. We've got it inside of ourselves. We have exactly that, that we could be getting through the senses, but we have it qualitatively and also in a much stronger way than what we've ever got through our senses. The quality and the quantity of this very delightful sensation is much greater than anything we could ever have experienced through the senses. What we experience through the senses is completely colored or rather discolored by what we want and what we don't want. Whereas this inner experience can only occur if our wants and not don't wants have already disappeared. We had to give ourselves to it. And having given ourselves to it, this discoloration of the ego concentration, what I want and what I don't want, has momentarily disappeared. So having experienced that, we have not only the antidote for our ill will during the meditation, but we have an antidote towards a lot of our ill will in daily living. Not that we're now never going to become angry, that takes a little more than that. But it's much easier not to feel it because the mind knows it can get back to its own home and all the things which touch it during the day are not so important anymore. Not only are our sense contacts not so important anymore, also our dislikes are not so important anymore. They roll off like water on a duck's back. And therefore, this particular hindrance has, is minimized, or it's not eliminated, but it has become less. 
And because it becomes less, our meditation works better and we can continue to go further with it. And because it works less, our inner peacefulness and harmony is maximized so that our daily living becomes easier. If our meditation does not help our daily living, we're meditating in vain. We might as well do Tai Chi because it has to help our daily living. It is a mind training which changes our whole context of being eventually. In the beginning, it changes it a little. The Buddha compared ill will or anger to a bilious disease, the bile coming up. And he said that the one who is angry is is like a person picking up hot coals with their bare hands and trying to throw them at somebody else. Who gets burned first? So the other person might even be clever enough to duck. So it's always the one who's angry who gets burned. The antidote in daily living is, of course, the substitution of this very negative emotion with a positive emotion. Now, the positive emotion, which is the opposite of that, is love and compassion. And in order to be able to substitute, there is a loving-kindness meditation which we'll do later, the guided meditation, which everybody should do in their own home every day. It doesn't take more than 10 minutes. And it directs the mind in the right direction. And also, the substitution of the negative emotion requires mindfulness and daily living. We've got to be able to know what is arising in order to be able to substitute with something else. And we mustn't make excuses and justify, but we also mustn't blame ourselves. The formula is recognition, no blame, change. And every time we miss the change, we'll try again. That's all there is to it. And when we have an understanding of the difficulties that we ourselves encounter in in our lives, then it isn't difficult to recognize the difficulties everybody else has. So if we start getting angry at somebody, all we have to remember are our own difficulties. And then we can see that the other person is also having them. And compassion can arise. It is a matter of recognition, no blame, change in daily living. A loving-kindness meditation is one of the other possibilities to help us on that path. And, of course, the third factor of the meditation, which is the delightful sensation. In the short time which we have available here together, I won't be able to tell you everything about it. I would like just to stop at this point and just to give you the idea where in the beginning one can go. I think I should add to that that what I have described, the first two steps are for every meditator. The third one goes towards calm, samatha. It's not the recognition of the 
characteristics that are universal, but it is the purification. So the purification which heart and mind need are the essential prerequisites for vipassana. Everybody thinks vipassana is a method. Vipassana means insight. That's all it means. And once we've got insight, that has many steps on the way. And as it has many steps on the way, eventually it leads to liberation. But without purification, there's no liberation. So the liberation that we want from our difficulties, from the dukkha, which are, which is a word for every difficulty there is, that liberation that we want needs to go along purification, the lines of purification of heart and mind. Now, obviously, we can do something about that in daily life, but without the additional automatic help of the meditation, it will never happen. It's too difficult. Only in meditation is also not enough. Both have to work together. Now, before I will say something about how we're going to meditate now, if you have any questions, you can ask now. Anything? Yes. Sometimes when you meditate, um, you, I have had the feeling of being dissociated. It's kind of an unpleasant feeling from who I am. How nice. <laughs> you didn't like it? Ego illusion. The ego has absolutely no support system when we stop thinking. Who's going to tell us that we're here? Only when we think do we have the ego support. So, the moment that the concentration is strong enough so that there is this feeling of being able to give oneself to it, the ego says, no, no, that's going one step too far. Come back and we'll discuss this. <laughs> and the first thing that arises is the fear because the ego doesn't like to be uh, negated. I can assure you it's going to be right back after the meditation, mm -hmm. the ego. It doesn't disappear. It takes more than that. It when I drive. You know, when you drive. <laughs> I wouldn't advise that. It's like a residual. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like a residual that occurs when I'm doing well, what happens when you meditate? When I meditate, it, that's fine. It happens too. And what I, happens exactly? You said it was an unpleasant feeling. What happens no, exactly? No, the unpleasant feeling is, is, is when I'm, after I meditate and I go about my business, I get this dissociation. I feel it's a residual from meditation. But well, what happens in meditation? A very pleasant feeling. What a, sort? A focusing. A what clearing, sort of feeling? A clearing of the mind. That's not a feeling. Um, peace. Peace is a description. That's not a feeling. What's it feel like? That everything is still. What are you focusing on? I usually focus on a chant. 
Okay, that's in the beginning. But when, when you say that everything is still, what are you focusing on? Well, that's not still, is it? That's shant. Still and shant are not the same thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it verbally. I'm just saying it mentally. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that. I, I didn't think you were saying it verbally. But what I'm, I'm trying to differentiate is this, that if you're saying something, even mentally, that's not still. You're saying it mentally. That's all that's happening. But what you are actually referring to is probably that you are saying it mentally and are, do not have ex, uh, exterior or external thoughts about, about anything. You're mm-hmm. just saying it mentally. Yeah. Well, it's a good beginning because it's, um, if you can, then let go of that and become so still that you may be able to let go of that chant. You may be able to actually experience what I've been talking about. Because being totally still is one of the experiences, but not just not thinking. See, it's far more than that. Um, Also, one thing that may be helpful for you, um, after you finish your meditation, take your time to open the eyes. Don't open them right away. Just take your time slowly and then sit a little bit with open eyes and move your body. Get the blood circulation. Move your body and then think a moment what your next steps are going to be in the house, what you're going to do and then get up. Don't hop up. Yes. That's what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't do that. Mm-hmm. I uh, I liked what you were talking about that if um, meditation was a place for our mind to have a home, that our body had these different comfortable homes that we could put it in, but we this was a place for our mind. And at times when I have attempted to put that mind at peace in its home. In meditation, when I am in turmoil uh, with the um, those negative things that are going through my mind, or or I'm upset by something, I can't put it in its home at home. Mm. And sometimes, and so when when we talked in meditation about it, and Dixie had said, "Well, just be with the feeling of whatever it is. You know, look and be with it." and don't try to fight it away and push it away. Um, just be with what, where you are right then. And I would like to know from you, if you feel that, that one then does grow into actually being able to put their mind in a peaceful place when they need to. It's a skill like any other. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of time, that's all. Mm-hmm. But you've got, first got to find that place. And uh, which means, to find the place means that one has a pathway to it. And the pathway to it will take you there always. Because you see, what happens is, if one meditates for longer time already and regularly, and the meditation is 
becomes quite um, uh, successful, let's say, um, you don't get upset in the daytime. Uh, it can be mildly upset, but not terribly, because it uh, it's like a cushion. I mean, you recognize what's going on, but you're cushioned. Mm-hmm. So it's a skill. It's a skill like any other, and it needs to be practiced. But it needs to be practiced every day. It's um, You can compare that to yoga exercises. If you want to do them well, you've got to do them every day because you have to stretch the ligaments and you have to stretch the body and if you stop stretching it all comes back together again you've got to start stretching again so it's the same as the mind so if you have the skill to get to that to know your steps to get there you can always get there anywhere at any time but when you are upset you can be with that yes but there are other ways of handling it too, and I'll give you one, um, because that can be helpful also to the other people. If one is upset about something, it is either because one got something that one didn't want, or one didn't get something that one wanted. I mean, it's either one of the two, right? So there's no no possibility of anything else. So let's say one didn't get what one wanted, right? Well, then one can question that. Why am I upset about it? And the answer may be, well, because I should be getting this. Then, next question, why should I be getting this? Because I've worked for it. Well, is that enough reason that because I worked for it that I need to get this? Is Is there any reason that it's possible that maybe my work wasn't sufficient to get it. Keep questioning each answer. The bottom line, I can give you that now, it's useless, but I'll give it to you anyway, it's always ego, always. But you've got to get there yourself, right? That's why I'm saying it's useless, but I'll give it anyway. Because once one sees it, that, that upset is only due to that and no other, because one has gone down step, 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 step then it vanishes. Not the ego, the upset. Mm-hmm. The ego comes is right there. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, oh, well, yes, it's foolish, of course, and finished with it. Mm-hmm. And as you do this often, I mean, if it, you know, whenever it happens, uh, the ego finally gets the idea that it's a troublemaker, <laughs> and uh, a terrible troublemaker, and makes all the troubles that exist in the world. That's it. It's, that is its function. <laughs> so then, as you get used to that, that it's a troublemaker, then it becomes much easier to tell it to shut up. <laughs> Anything else? Yes? I, what do you think about these uh, high-tech electronic uh, devices that are supposed to... Uh, do what meditation does, that you wear headphones and it uh, stimulates your hearing and your vision and... I've and never heard, heard of it. Have you anything about it? Who, who, who does this? Well, it's, I don't know, I read about the magazine and they likened it to uh, med- what you could achieve through meditation. Creating alpha waves or oh. that if they claim it's a way of calming down. And, 
They sell it. It's a business. <laughs> well, that speaks against it. <laughs> no, but some people play. It's like listening to beautiful music, and it might settle you down. Yeah. They do this with lights and sounds yeah. and. Right. But is it's, that any connection with spiritual and meditation? Yeah. Well, you see, as I said before, meditation, in order to bring the results that it's me that it's meant to bring, has to be embedded in a spiritual path which includes moral conduct, which includes um, self-introspection, uh, which includes um, mindfulness, bare attention, and learning more about the path. It's not designed just to calm one down. That's one of its features, naturally, but it's, that's not what it's designed for. It's designed to bring a completely different view of self and the world and uh, a total freedom from all problems, from every problem that ever existed for the person, not for the world. Mm -hmm. So uh, possibly that sort of thing can calm people down. I, I don't know if that's all they want, want to be a bit calmed down. It's, it's good. Yes. I mean, we, we have a lot of information about the mind. It's, it's a mind matter. Mm. Information is. Could you speak to us a little more about the heart and the functioning of the heart and how they work together and mm -hmm. some guidance in that matter? Uh, yes. Um, not too long, otherwise we're never going to meditate together. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, in Pali, the word citta, C-I-T-T-A, denotes mind, but also heart, so they're interchangeable. And the word chitta means four items which are included in the mind. The first one is the sense contact, or the sense consciousness, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling. The second one is feeling, which is emotion and sensation. And the third one is the perception, the names we give to things. And the fourth one is the uh, mental reaction. So you see that within mind, in the Buddhist terminology, the heart is also included, the feeling aspect of it. And the purification of our heart faculty has, and I explained that yesterday, and by the way, you can have the tape, you can order the tape, it's on there in a uh, fair, fair bit of detail. Um, the Buddha gave four emotions, which are the only ones worth having. In Pali, they're called metta karuna mudita upekka, which means loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Now, these are the only four emotions which are worth having. Everything else can be discarded. Now, under loving kindness, of course, there's gratitude and there is um, uh, confidence and devotion and all these things belong with that because they're all based on love. Confidence and devotion and uh, gratitude all have the love factor in them. And the, um, the way we look at love is a, a totally um, biased way based on our ego conception. We look upon love as a, as a thing, almost as a commodity, where we want to get back what we're giving. Whereas 
in the Buddhist terminology, love is a heart quality, just like intelligence is a mind quality. And this heart quality can be developed like, a, like everything else can be developed with skill. And the loving-kindness meditation, which we'll do together at the end, is one way. And the other ways of doing it is in our daily living to recognize that the only emotion which has any real value in our interpersonal relationships is love. When without wanting to have anybody, to keep anybody, to um, get it back from anybody, but that our heart is open. And not, um, it also helps us to reduce our egocentricity because loving is giving. And giving is, of course, uh, an antidote towards egos, uh, against egocentricity. So the, the skill that we can develop in our heart faculty is a learning process, just as it is with our mind. Now, we were all tutored from kindergarten on through uni um, to develop our mind qualities. We can, we can logically think and rationally um, think about things, but the heart quality has never probably even been mentioned. So it is a, a skill which can be learned and which needs to be learned. It's, it's probably the only hope that we have to live together on this little planet in any kind of peacefulness, as uh, everything else follows on from that. If we um, think about uh, helping and serving, it all has to come from love. If we don't have that, we don't have anything. And because we have so little of it on this planet, we have such a mess, obviously. And all we have to do, we don't have to blame anybody, all we have to do is look inside of ourselves and see what goes on in there, and then say, aha, I'm part of this humanity on this planet. Now, if I can do something about my own heart quality, then this planet has already gained one asset in my heart quality. And this um, lovingness that it, each single person can develop also, of course, translates to his or her surroundings, sometimes immediate surroundings, one or two people, sometimes more people. That is the uh, natural uh, development from that. But if we know that it's useless to say all these people over there, they're all doing these wrong things, we can only develop ourselves. So working on our own heart quality, whether anybody else loves us or not, has absolutely nothing to do with this. This is a catalyst. This is the, the possibility of changing ourselves and thereby, of course, changing others with us. And this change in ourselves depends upon recognition. Recognition, no blame, change. There's far more to this than just what I've just said, but there's more of that also on my tape which I gave to with them yesterday. Anything else? I'll uh, say something about meditation and then we'll actually do it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes? I have a question about the tapes. I hear you have tapes for sale or books for sale? Uh, the books for sale, Bob will mention at the, at the end here. 
and the tapes for sale, yes, we've, I've got about 500 in English and 500 in German, but the one I'm talking about at the moment is the one I gave yesterday in Santa Fe, and uh, I'm leaving the original here to be copied so that people can order the copies, and I think Bob will no, mention no, that sir. too. Yes, he's the business manager. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> is that all right? <laughs> <laughs> now with the meditation we'll use the breath as our meditation subject and I like to give five different possibilities of using the breath unless you're very concentrated in your meditation one needs a crutch and one of the possibilities is counting if one likes numbers, one on the in-breath, one on the out-breath, two on the in-breath, two on the out-breath. One can do it the other way also. One can do one on the in-breath, two on the out-breath, three on the in-breath, four on the out-breath, whichever works better. No further than ten, because it gets all muddled up after that. So it's um, usually easier to stay with one, one, two, two, but only for those people who do like numbers. If you like words, use the word peace. Peace on the in-breath, peace on the out-breath. Or buddho, bud on the in-breath, ho on the out-breath. Any word will do, it doesn't matter. Whichever you like. If you have a nice word, use it. If you don't like numbers, you don't like words, and you have a visual mind, use a picture. For instance, a cloud or an ocean wave. Let's say an ocean wave. The breath comes in with the wave of the ocean and maybe the wave is sparkling in the sunshine so it is silvery looking and it comes in and then it goes out again. The breath and the wave. You can, it's sometimes people find it easy to let the mind really go with that wave motion. The other possibility are sensation. The feeling of the breath at the nostrils as it goes along the nose further in, forehead, throat, lungs, wherever it can be felt, and then going out again in the same process. It doesn't have to have all those points of contact, any point of contact, but just here only, the sensation may not be sufficient. This is usually uh, something where the mind really likes to wander off. If you find that you can actually stay with the point of contact where the breath uh, the wind of the breath making the contact at the nostrils really keeps you interested then do that but if it doesn't follow it follow it in as far as you like follow it out no further than the nose everything that's against meditation is happening out there everything that's for meditation is inside and then there's a possibility of using beginning middle end beginning of the breath, middle of the breath, end of the breath. This is, needs more attention, more mindfulness, and you can help yourself by saying one, two, three, or just feeling beginning, middle, end. Any of those are fine. Use whichever one you think is useful for you. Counting, word, picture, sensation, beginning, middle, end, five different ones the one you like distracting thoughts label them 
is the most important thing to know about oneself. Give them a label like future, past, not necessary, fantasy, hoping, wishing, dreaming, disliking, boredom, uh, whatever it is that comes up. The first label you give is the right one. Don't try to find the right one. First one's right. You will have learned several things from that. First of all, you see um, a thought pattern. It's the same thing that keeps on arising, a thought pattern. So you can counteract that. You also learn that when you become the observer and no longer the thinker, the thought disappears. We don't have to follow up every thought that we have during the day. If we did, we'd go mad anyway. But if we are the observer, at least we will know whether we are thinking wholesome or unwholesome. And as we dis substitute every thought that we have in the meditation, or as many as possible, with attention on the breath, so in daily life we can substitute unwholesome thinking with wholesome thinking that we've learned to label. Learning to label is our first line of defense against negative thought, unwholesome thought. We've got to learn to label what we're thinking. Once we get um, accustomed to that, it becomes a habit, and we don't allow ourselves anything negative anymore in daily life. In the sitting, the discomfort of the sitting, become aware of the fact that when you take your mind off it, and get back to the breath, there is no discomfort, which teaches us that we only know where we put our mind, which means that we don't have to put our mind in daily living on things which are detrimental to our well-being. It's not like um, putting our head in the sand, but it is using our mind for the best purposes. So if we take our mind off the unpleasant feeling, put it back on the breath, we have the self-confidence that we don't have to react to unpleasant feeling. But if we do feel then that we do have to react, well, we just move slowly, gently, not to disturb anyone and not to disturb ourselves. But recognizing that we were the victim of our own unpleasant feeling. That's fine. We are constantly the victim of our own unpleasant feelings. But here we know it, and in daily living we don't. We think it's somebody else's fault. Before the breath or any other method of meditation is like a key. Now in order to unlock a door, you have to keep your key in the hand steady and long enough to find the keyhole. So if you keep the attention on the breath long enough and steady enough you can put it in the keyhole and then you can open the door and as you open the door you come into the antechamber which was obviously what you must have done and it is already then the first room is very delightful and then you can go into seven other rooms and then you've got the eight steps of calm meditation of samatha and this is the first well, the first beginning of it. 
method is method by any name. Yes. Something that happens to me, and it usually happens to me when I meditate, is that I know, I know where my hands are when I sit down, and I kind of know what I've done with my body, and then during meditation, it will feel very much like my hands are in an opposite position, and I know mm. that they're still where they were, but it'll just feel physically mm. like they're in a different position, and I've always wondered what that is. Change of perception. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a change of perception because the eyes are closed and the mind is otherwise occupied. It's just a different perception. It doesn't, it's not meaningful. Yes? Well, if you if it is in your hands, you can uh, deliberately enlarge it along the arms and through the body. You can deliberately enlarge it, and when you're fully in it, then you've got that first step. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, very often starts at the hands. I've been in it fully before, so a lot mm. of times I can't get past the hands. Mm. Well, you, you need to get into it from the hands, you can enlarge it. Mm-hmm. But please don't misunderstand that this delightful sensation is the um, actual goal of meditation. It is getting into the house and mm-hmm. opening the door and then keeping the door open by continual meditation and then it take, goes on from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is only... Um, have one step on the way and it does have as I explained many benefits so yes you can deliberately enlarge it you pull it up the arms and down the body sorry how would I how would I do that with your mind mm-hmm. okay mind's the master <laughs> <laughs> I'll um, say one more thing about this um, if you do get to this point and then lose your concentration or the time of meditation is over. There are two things you have to do before opening the eyes. The first one is to see, uh, experience I should say, to experience the impermanence of even this very nice feeling and say to yourself, that too is impermanent by experiencing it, right? So that you're watching it this, uh, um, get less and less and the next thing is, is recapitulate. What did I do to get there? So that you're finally making yourself a pathway so that you can always go there. So every time recapitulate. It very often people find that they sat differently or that they thought differently or that they ate differently. Any little thing might actually be a trigger. Sometimes it is a... Uh, a determination, there are many possibilities. So recapitulate, so you've got a pathway. So two things, that too is impermanent and recapitulate. Anything else? Yes? Is this a good time when you're in real deep uh, meditation to try to suggest yourself to change a certain behavior? Well, first of all, we'll have to establish what it means to be in deep meditation. Well, Okay, let's just say after you've meditated 30 minutes, you're in a sort of lower state of consciousness than your normal. And 
with the body be suggested? We're still not getting anywhere. You see, the Buddha's instructions and guidelines are precise. Mm-hmm. I, I still haven't got, haven't got to the point where I understand where you're at. So you've been meditating on the uh, chant, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, while you're on the chant, you don't have uh, other thoughts, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now you do that for 30 minutes, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And you stay with the chant. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you finish, you open your eyes. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're I, telling I, me? Yes, I, and I, my ego is not very prominent. So, you know, if I would want to say, well, stop, I think, stop doing a certain behavior. Mm. At that time, yes. you want to tell yourself, now this kind of behavior is not useful, I'd like to stop it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a very good time for that. In fact, it's the best possible time. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the word deep meditation denotes something very specific in Buddhist terminology. Mm-hmm. These are, they are called the meditative absorptions, the one I've been talking about at the beginning of the first. Deep meditation would mean the fourth, and it means something very specific. So okay. it just felt to me like deep meditation, but we mm. used the wrong term. Yeah. Well, I need to make it precise so that I know what I'm talking about. But that's a very good time for that. Yes, it's the best time you can choose because at that time it's not just that the ego is not so prominent. It's a time when the mind is not so um, opinionated. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have so many opinions because the opinions have been for 30 minutes have been let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very good time. Anything else? To get started, please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. Think of yourself as your own best friend, caring and helpful, loving and concerned. Fill yourself with the warmth of that friendship and surround yourself with the care and concern and love that a best friend has. Think of yourself as the best friend of the person sitting nearest you here in this room and fill him or her with your love and concern, 
your friendship, your willingness to help. Now think of yourself as the best friend of everyone who's assembled here. Fill each and every one with the sincerity and warmth of your friendship. Surround everyone with your love. Now think of yourself as the best friend of your parents, helpful, caring and concerned. Fill them with your love, embrace them with your friendship. Think of yourself as the best friend of the people who are nearest and dearest to you, maybe those you live with. Let your heart reach out to them with your love and your friendship, without expecting to get the same in return. And now be the best friend to all your good friends. 
fill them with the depth and sincerity of your friendship. Embrace them with your love and care and concern without expecting to get the same in return. Now think of your neighbors, your colleagues at work, people you meet on the street, in the shops, in the offices, those you might meet on travels, anyone who's part of your life, acquaintances and relations, and think of yourself as each one's best friend, caring and concerned. Fill each one with your friendship. Embrace each one with your love. Letting them really be part of your heart. Think of any one person in your life whom you might find difficult or with whom you're angry or if there is no such person, anyone towards whom you are quite indifferent and think of yourself as the best friend of such a person, forgiving and forgetting, filling him or her with friendship and love and care, wanting to help, embracing that person.
And now let the warmth of your friendship and your love spill out of your heart like a golden stream going to people near and far those you know those you don't know feeling friendship care and concern for people that are near here further afield there's cities towns on the land letting the warmth of your friendship and the strength of your love go as far as it will reach touching as many people's hearts as possible put your attention back on yourself and feel the contentment that comes from making the right effort the joy that comes from loving and caring and resolve to be your own best friend who knows how to provide happiness joy fill yourself with that inner joy surround yourself with friendship and love feeling at ease and protected May beings everywhere be friends with each other. <laughs> 